While you're doing that, I just want to put another plug-in for the, uh, the uh, Living Nativity that's going to be done uh, at the Civic Center during the music uh, program. Uh, what, what's the name of that program? What are they calling it, John? Manger Melodies, okay, going on December 2nd, and uh, just a great opportunity. We can use children in our church. The youth group did it one year, uh, narrating the Christmas story and someone acting it out, but just to be able to show to the, in the community uh, the true meaning of Christmas. So uh, encourage you to pray about it. Think about uh, uh, leading that and making that a part of our Christmas celebration as a community uh, from our church. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, we are continuing our series, Following Jesus in a Messy World. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had this morning to worship you in, in fellowship with one another, in song, in giving. But God, uh, we want to continue to worship now as we look at your word. We ask that you would help us to uh, see with spiritual eyes, hear with spiritual ears the message you would have for us today. May the Holy Spirit be free to work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. God, we, each one of us, come in here with different things going on in our lives, uh, different burdens on our hearts, different cares. Uh, But God, you want to meet each and every one of us today. And we're asking that we can be encouraged and strengthened, built up from having been here together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if a person looks at uh, chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter, the end of the chapter, both make the the same statement. So it's pretty clear that this whole chapter is going to be about this one subject. Verse 1 begins, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. And then, uh, the end, towards the end of the chapter, therefore, verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart. So this, this chapter is, is going to tell us uh, that we don't need to lose heart. It's going to show us how that can be true. But of course, that begs an important question, which is, well, why would he even need to tell us that? Why would he need to say that, right? And, and the obvious answer uh, to that is because there is a real potential as we live in this messy world to lose heart, right? I mean, it's a genuine thing that can happen. Who would make a statement like this? You, you would only make a statement like this if that possibility was true and will, uh, real. And you wouldn't make that statement in a, in a situation uh, where uh, it wouldn't matter. I mean, think, think of a football team. And, and you're getting ready to enter into the fourth quarter, and your team is ahead 45 to nothing, right? Would the coach of that winning team be going up and down the sidelines telling his players, don't lose heart, guys. Keep a stiff upper lip. Come on, we, we can do this. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It's the guy on the other side, the team that's losing 45 to nothing. That's the coach that would have to be telling his players, come on, men, don't lose heart. The obstacles look overwhelming. The the opposition looks uh, incredible, but don't lose heart. We can keep moving forward. It's when you're down and out. It's when you're being crushed that we need to be exhorted not to lose heart. So going 
back to 2 Corinthians here, we need to keep in mind the context, right? The Apostle Paul, who is writing this, has been facing very stiff opposition from a group of false teachers who have inundated the church at Corinth. And they have uh, made accusations against Paul, been, been uh, saying, attacking his character, saying terrible things about him. And, and then in a very painful way, Paul is also realizing that this church that he founded, that he had spent so much time with, is turning away from him. They're turning their back on him. And so there's that emotional pain too. And it's there that the Apostle Paul then writes, therefore, we do not or since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. He's been under attack. So what about you? Have you ever been behind 45 to nothing? And I'm talking in life here, right? Have you ever felt like your world was falling apart? That you were facing incredible opposition? Or that the trials that were for you were overwhelming? Or maybe it's not anything really specific. You're just tired and worn out and weary and beaten down from what really seems like a constant battle of life. Have you ever been in a situation because of living in this messy world where you have wanted, needed someone to come up alongside of you and say, don't lose heart? Well, that's what this passage does for us. So let's take a look at what he tells us. And notice the first thing that Paul says is he does not lose heart since we have this ministry. In other words, he is saying God gave us a job to do, and so since we have that job to do, we we should be encouraged in that no matter what's going around. Uh, God you know, could have whisked us away to heaven the moment we got saved. That'd be nice, right? You know, uh, you know forgive my sins and whew, boy, you're in heaven. And then you don't have to live in this painful world and, and put up with these trials and, and live in all the mess that's going on. But he didn't do that. And he didn't do that because he's got a plan and a purpose for us. Uh, Paul's job, his ministry, was to be a traveling evangelist and a church planter. Uh, yours is probably different than that. At least I'm assuming it's different than that. Otherwise, I'm wondering, what are you doing here? If you're supposed to be traveling and planning churches, you need to get going. But, but you know, God's given us all kinds of different ministries and different ways to be involved. I believe He's called me to be a pastor and not like a traveling pastor going around, but one that stays in one place and, and, and works and ministers uh, to people. Uh, all of us, he's given ministries. And it may be different, it is different, and most of us have multiple ways in which he has called us to minister. He might have called you to be a parent, to raise your children in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. And at the same time, you may be a Christian businessman, or an employee. It's also true that God's equipped you to be involved in a particular way in the local congregation, the body that He's made you a part of in church, such as 
helping with children's church or, or teaching Sunday school or serving on the building and maintenance uh, team to, to help keep the facility uh, in shape or helping with the audio and visual uh, ministries or uh, doing Sunday setup for before the service or, or greeting or ushering or you know, any a number of a host of other ways God has given us to be involved with His people. And, and as we saw just recently, last week and, and, and before, God has called every single one of us, no matter what the rest of our ministry might be, to be a fragrance of Christ in this world to the people around us. So all of us have been given this ministry. That's why you're still here. God has a plan and, and a purpose for you. And because He has that plan, we do not lose heart. He's got something for us. But look at what else verse 1 says. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. So we don't lose heart because of what we don't get from God. We don't get what we deserve. Aren't we thankful for that? The Apostle Paul was very keenly aware of the mercy he received from God. He said to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. I mean, though he had done all of those horrible things to Christians, God actually gave him a a ministry, a job of building up Christians, planting churches. That's mercy. So what about you? How has God shown you mercy? Now, I understand you probably aren't guilty of dragging away Christians and tossing them into prison or, or murdering them like Paul, but you know, all of us have sinned against God. None of us warrant heaven based on our own merit. And none of us deserves the privilege, the honor of being able to serve God's people. But in one way or another, He has allowed all of us to be used for the benefit of His people, His kingdom. And each of us has a ministry, you know, based on how God's wired you and and gifted you. And by God's mercy, in spite of our weaknesses, our failings, our past, our sins, the things that Satan wants to let us drag down, but God says no. He has given us a ministry. As Apostle Peter says, as each one, each one, every single one of us, not just that guy over there that can do this or that lady over there that's really good at that, each one of us has received a special gift. Employ it. Use it. Do something in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God because we have received that mercy where we don't get what we deserve and we do get to be a part of His family, we do not lose heart. And what's interesting to me here on this, it's in serving one another that we are strengthened not to lose heart. It's kind of the opposite of the way the world does things, right? As soon as something bad happens, we want to we pull off and, and we want everybody to do stuff for us. And he says, no, as you do, you're not going to lose heart. 
Move on into verse 2. It says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by uh, the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Okay, so the things hidden uh, there uh, because of shame probably refers to the idea of, of personal sin. Nobody likes to have their sin broadcast about to, to everybody else to hear, right? Generally, people are ashamed of what they do wrong and want to keep that hidden. And, and he's saying we renounce that. In this particular case, it's likely that Paul is responding to some attack or accusation that these false teachers have made. Something like, oh yeah, he puts on an impressive show when he's up front, looks like this great guy from God, but in his personal life, oh, you should see, he's just you know, full of sin and living a life of sin that he's trying to hide from, from you guys. And Paul is saying, no, we, we renounce sin. And, and, and that's true not only for Paul, uh, but for every single Christian, right? That sin that entangles us must be re- renounced. And, and, and we understand that part of living in a messy world means that, that even as Christians, as believers following Jesus Christ, we are not going to be immune from temptation. We do not have an inability to stumble and fall. Sometimes the messes that we're in are because we made them ourselves. Anybody here ever made a mess of their life because of choices you made? John says, 1 John 1.8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Sometimes we're the ones who make the mess. And, and what Paul is saying is we need to renounce that. And, and the way we renounce that, the way we deal with that is, is dealing with it the way the Bible lays up. So you go into the next verse, 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I can guarantee you that if you don't deal with your sin, it is going to drag you down. But, but if we renounce those things, if we repent, if we confess and turn, then God forgives faithfully. And by keeping those short accounts, it will help us to not lose heart. And, and in doing that, then we're able to walk in integrity and, and be faithful with the Word of God, not trying to twist it around to justify our actions and our sins. And in that way, we become a good witness. What he was talking about there when he says, you know, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience, as being that good, that good witness. But did, did you know that, you, you may have noticed this, that even when you do that in life, even when you're the best witness that you can be, you know, you're, 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 you're doing, you're living your life faithfully before God and, and, and people are seeing that. You're answering questions. People are talking to you and you're answering the questions to the best of your ability and God's even given you some scripture, some verses. He's brought them to, to mind so you can share that with people that's in an appropriate setting and, and they see in your life the changes that God has made and, and even uh, including the way you would deal with sin and, and, and when you fall. They've seen those things have you ever noticed that doing all those things as a good witness there's still people that just turn away and reject i remember when i was in college talking to a man in tim horton's donut shop okay and we're talking about god not because of me because i'm you know 
I, I didn't have the courage to be able to start spiritual relationships uh, or, or discussions back then. This guy started it. And, and, and so we got talking, and as we're talking, he, he said, uh, yeah, he, he, he believed, you know, there's a God. And, and yeah, he, he even believed that heaven and hell were real and, and uh, admitted that uh, without God, he, he would end up in hell. And I talked to him about forgiveness and, and God's grace and, and Jesus Christ forgiving our sins. And I said, would you, like, would you like to have your sins forgiven? Would you like to receive Christ? And he said, no, nah, that's not really for me. And I'm thinking, what? What is not for you? Having your sins forgiven? Being, being freed from condemnation? gaining eternal life in paradise with God? What part of that do you, don't you want? And, and it was only later on as I uh, continued to, to, to grow in my understanding of Scripture that I realized what was happening there. You know, verses 3 and 4 move on. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You know, Satan, through his deceptions, through his world system, has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing. Blinded them so that they can be walking along merrily and be faced with the truth and still say, now, that's not for me. And maybe you're thinking, wow, well, if Satan can do that, what, what, what hope is there for anybody? Maybe you're thinking of someone in particular, someone you love, someone that you pray for over and over again, a, a spouse, a, a child, a, a parent, a, a sibling, a, a close friend, a coworker, someone you really care about and you've been praying for them, but it just doesn't seem like they're interested in Jesus Christ whatsoever, that their eyes have been blinded and you're thinking, well, what hope is there? Well, there's hope. Look at verse 6. For God, who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You know, Satan, yeah, he may have a bit of power in this world, but God is still king sitting on the throne. And this God, who spoke into nothing and created the world, created light, is still speaking in the darkness of hearts today, bringing the light of Christ. See, it's, it's all about God. So we do not lose heart. There's, there's still hope. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have uh, the right words to say or the perfect presentation. It's about God shining the light into that person's heart. So, so keep praying because God is still at work. And the cool thing about that, it means he's shown his light in our hearts. And it's living right inside of us. His light, his truth, his, his, his mercy is living within us. And so even though it's all about God reaching these other people, he, he lets us be involved in it too and, and tells us that we're part of it, but this is the way it works. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure, this, this gospel, this truth of God in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. 
So, so you get what that's saying? That's saying we're weak so that God can be strong. An earthen vessel is a cheap clay pot. That, that's what, that's what this, this phrase earthen vessel means. A cheap clay pot. Not, not the high quality, kiln dried, painted vases, you know, these nice things. These uh, are, are the super cheap, mass produced, made in China type pots. Okay. Uh, well, probably they weren't made in China, but, but you, get, you, you get the idea here. Uh, they were common. They were easily broken and easily replaced. And that's what Paul compares us to. Why? Because it's about God and not us. We understand, don't we, that God is not trying to impress the community with how great a people we are. He's trying to show them how incredible He is through us. If you think about clay pots, they are effortlessly shattered and quickly discarded, aren't they? But because of God, even as a clay pot, look what's true of us. Look at verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So that that Greek word translated afflicted means to be placed under extreme pressure. So, So we're under this pressure, it says, in every way, but not crushed. Well, that's not true of a clay pot, is it? I mean, you put a little bit of compression on a clay pot and it's just shattered. So yeah, we're a clay pot, but we're a clay pot with God in us. And that changes things. We're pressed but not broken. Goes on to say we're perplexed, but not despairing. We may be confused and uncertain about what's happening around us in the world and why, and yes, we're living in the midst of chaos, but we're never at a total loss. We're not despairing because we know that God is still in control. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. That word persecuted literally means to be pursued or hunted. And, and, and the entire world might be hunting us. You might be on the run from everyone, but we're never forsaken. We're never deserted or abandoned by God. And it says we're struck down, but not destroyed. So now we're not only hunted, but we're shot. We're struck down with the sword. We're, we're taken to the ground. And even in that situation... You're not destroyed. That word destroyed means ruined or lost. Guess what? You belong, you belong to God's kingdom. You cannot be ever ruined or lost. That's who you are. Even as a clay pot. In verse 10, it takes it to another level. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. 
so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Just as Jesus himself suffered, suffered to the point of death, so we too are called to suffer. We're going to be persecuted. We should expect it. It's the normal. It's going to happen in this messy world. But here's the awesome part of the, of the way that happens. As we put our faith and trust in God, through these times of suffering, God causes something wonderful to happen. The life of Jesus is also going to show up in your life. I mean, that, that's an incredible truth, isn't it? And that's powerful. It's so powerful that, that the Apostle Paul just immediately repeated himself. He just got done stating that in verse 10, verse 11. He just repeats himself. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So did you, did you catch the so that phrase in there? Again, remember I told you a couple of weeks ago, I love so that phrases because they, 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 they show things that are important to us. One of the immediate questions that always comes up in our mind or, or the mind of the person you're talking to who's going through suffering, that's going through pain, is why? Why is this happening to me? And you know what? I do not believe that God always gives us a specific answer into the why question at least a specific personal, this is exactly why you're going through what you're going through right now. I, I don't believe that always happens. But I do believe he has given us some answers to that why question that are true for all of us in the Bible. And this is one of them right here. When we suffer, it says, so that, here's why, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Jesus wants to shine through your life, your body who you are. And the best way he does that is when you're suffering and you allow his life to come through. Now, of course, that's only true as we would approach suffering with a proper biblical perspective. And and so Paul ends this chapter on, on how we cannot lose heart by giving us four practical things that we can do. Things that if we would desire these things over what we normally desire, would transform the way we face suffering in this world. So here's the four things. And, and if you're not a note taker, I would encourage you, if you are a note taker, jot these things for, down. And if you're not, follow up on these four. Because guess what? You're going to suffer someday. Okay? And, and, you're, and, and you might want to have these four things in your arsenal. Victory in suffering is not getting out of it. It's enduring through it with God's grace. So here we go. Number one, four things we can desire that will transform the way we suffer. Desire the next life more than this present life. Look at verse seven, or 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also and, with Jesus and will present us with you. Knowing, it says. I like that word, knowing. Here's something we know, something we're certain, something we're absolutely sure about. God raised Jesus up from the dead. And because he raised Jesus, he's going to raise us up as well. And see, this, this answers the question, what's the worst that can happen? 
What's the worst that can happen? If we know in the end that we are raised up to new life for all of eternity in a perfect body with no more pain, no more disease, no more sicknesses, no more sins, no more weaknesses or failings, and we have this all of eternity with God, what can we not endure during this incredibly brief blip of time that we call life? If you're suffering, keep the end game in mind. You're going to be okay. Now, I don't say that to in any way minimize the hurt or the pain that we, we may be going through in our suffering. We, we, we can face some really tough things. I understand that. But we need to understand it's not always going to be this way. The suffering is not going to last forever. We have a new and better life coming. And if we value that new life more than we value what we have right here, we will not lose heart. And the life of Christ will shine through us. Number two, desire spiritual health over physical health. Look at verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Our outer man is the clay pot that Paul mentioned. It's our physical body and it's decaying. And yeah, I know when you're young, you can fool yourself into, into believing it's not decaying, but believe me, it is. Okay? Um, we talk about, you know, hitting milestone birthdays and after that, you know, it's all downhill, this type of thing. The reality is, it's downhill from the day we're born. You know that? We're born to die. It's just a clay pot and it's not going to last very long. And and yes, I I believe uh, uh, it's a good idea to take care of our physical bodies, right? God only gave us one. And and so we ought to be careful to to do well with it and and to take care of it. But, But we need to understand this. It is far more important to God that you take care of your spiritual health than your physical health. And I know, there, you know, there's only so many hours in a day. So if you ever have to make a choice between strengthening your spirit or, you know, strengthening your biceps, pick your spirit every time. The reality is what you do for your body is only going to last for a brief time. What you do for your spirit is going to benefit both this life and the life to come. We need to value, desire that spiritual health over physical health. Because then the decaying of our body is not going to get us all discombobulated and we won't lose heart when we suffer physical ailments. You know, just by way of practical application for this, Christians ought to be the happiest people in the hospital. You know what I'm saying? Not that anybody's happy to be in the hospital. I I get that. But we should be the best 
patience, the most cooperative, the friendliest, the most grateful and thankful. I saw a great example of this recently in Charles Britton. Went up and visited him in hospice and and we were having a nice visit. He was there for several weeks, you know. And while I was there, the nurses came in to take care of him. And, you know, everything had to be done. And they're rolling him over to wipe him and clean him and do this. And I'm in the room and I'm thinking, oh, uh, how humiliating, how, how bad for Charles. They roll him back over. And he smiled and he looked the nurses in the eyes and he said, thank you for taking care of me. When I grow up in my faith, I want to be like Charles. Because he understood, yeah, this physical body's decaying, but it's the inner man. That's what really matters. And it was being renewed day by day. Number three, we need to desire future gain over fears of present loss. Verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So Paul called his suffering, so therefore, by extension, the suffering that all of us go through as Christians, momentary and light. And this is the guy who just a couple chapters earlier had said, uh, was talking about some period in his life that he was going through, that the affliction was so severe that he literally believed he was going to die. Momentary and light, he says. How, how, how can it be that? Well, it's momentary because... It only lasts a short time. I mean, think about it. Even if you were afflicted, persecuted, tormented, from the moment you were born until the day you died, well, that's still just a very brief blip of time in the scope of eternity. But the truth is, that'd be very rare for any of us. God, God usually only allows our affliction to come in briefer window periods of times and, and does give us times of, uh, uh, of rest and calm and refreshing. So, so it is only momentary. But what about the concept of being light? Because some people go through horrendous suffering. Emotional, physical, painful, horrendous suffering. How can he call that light? Well, the answer again is in this verse is, is in comparison. See, it says in God's economy, when we suffer, we are gaining eternal reward. And, and the weight of the glory of that reward is far beyond all comparison, he says. Uh, the Greek word translated far beyond all comparison, that's, uh, that's the word we get our English word hyperbole from hyperbole. And, and, and so it basically means that this, this glory that is waiting for us, this reward, is all out of proportion. It, it, it's exceeding every limit. It's beyond uh, the ability to overstate what it is going to be. In other words, what we get 
is far more than anything you're ever going to lose. I mean, that's why Paul was able to say to the Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. If we desire that future gain more than anything we currently possess, then the life of Jesus will be able to shine through you in your suffering. We can lose everything and realize we haven't really lost anything because of what we gain. So we do not lose heart. And that leads into the fourth and final one. We need to desire the eternal over the temporal. Look at verse 18. Why we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So the question here is, where do you have your eyes focused? This is one of the reasons I I really hate the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Because see, it causes even Christians to think that they're supposed to get their good stuff down here right now. And then they get all bent out of shape when something threatens their stuff. Haven't we figured it out as Christians yet? This is all going to burn. It's temporary. Your bank account is temporary. Your good looks are temporary. Your possessions aren't going to last. Your health isn't going to last. It's all temporary. So we need to be looking at the things that are eternal. What are those things that really matter in this world? What is going to carry on into eternity? To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. The souls of men and women who need to know about Jesus Christ. Doing the will of God. These are the things that matter. Is it any wonder that Paul told the Colossians, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth? I, I didn't have her put up the rest of the verse. If you carry on in that, verse 3 it says, for, for you are dead. You've died. You're dead. You died to the things of this world. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When we begin to see how worthless the things are that we cling to down here and how valuable the things of eternity are so that we can desire the things of eternity over the things that are temporary. We can have victory 
through the midst of suffering and the life of Christ will shine out of you and you will not lose heart. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truths of your word. You do desire to encourage us today. God, it would be our desire to desire these things that you tell us make the difference. Help us. Because the things of this earth pull at us. But the things of eternity should be where our eyes are focused. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.